0: Hello and welcome to That's All Right podcast. I'm your host, Dr. TJ Stewart. That's All Right is a limited series that I'm producing in conjunction with ACPA, College Student Educators International, and their inaugural writing retreat. The podcast is meant to be an asynchronous resource to supplement the support and resources that retreat attendees will receive during their time at the retreat. There will be a total of five episodes that cover various components of the writing process. And I'm super excited because today's topic is titled, Receiving and Processing Feedback in the Publication Process. Now, we know that peer review is a hallmark, if not the bedrock, of the scholarly writing exchange. But that doesn't mean that it's always easy or straightforward to receive feedback and understand what to do with it. So today's episode, I have two guests that engage with me in some conversation about this very thing, and they are Dr. Chris Linder and Dr. LaMisha Brown. I will read their bios to you, and then we will jump into the conversation. Dr. Chris Linder, she, her, is an associate professor of higher education at the University of Utah, where her scholarship focuses on sexual violence and student activism, She also serves as the Special Assistant to the President for Violence Prevention and Education and serves as the Director of the McCluskey Center for Violence Prevention at the university. Chris identifies as a queer, white, cisgender woman from a working-class background who strives to interrupt power and dominance in her work as an educator and activist. Chris earned a PhD in higher education and student affairs leadership from the University of Northern Colorado she earned a bachelor's degree in business administration and a master's degree in student affairs from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln as a first-generation college student. Chris's book, Sexual Violence on Campus, Power Conscious Approaches to Awareness, Prevention, and Response, was published in 2018. Additionally, in partnership with Dr. Jessica Harris, Chris co-edited Intersections of Identity and Sexual Violence on Campus, Chris is also co-editor of the second edition of Multiculturalism on Campus and has published work on student activism, white women's anti-racist identity development and racism in graduate preparation programs in a variety of journals in higher education and student affairs. Dr. Lamisha C. Brown, she, her. And Dr. Brown is the director of advising, testing and career services at St. Cloud Technical and Community College located in central Minnesota. She is a proud first-generation college graduate and one of the co-founders of Hashtag FirstGenDocs, a digital space platform that seeks to affirm the experiences, amplify the voices, and celebrate the brilliance of first-generation doctoral students. LaMisha currently serves as the mid-level professional liaison for the NASPA Region 4 East Advisory Board, and an editorial board member for the Journal of First-Generation Student Success. Dr. Brown received her BA in Apparel Merchandising from Washington State University, her MED in Student Affairs from Valdosta State University, and her PhD in College Student Affairs Administration from the University of Georgia. You will find her most recent co-author publications in the Journal of First-Generation Student Success and the Journal of Diversity in Higher Education. I'm so elated to be in conversation with both of these folks. And so with that, let's dive right in. And we are talking about all things writing in this series. And I'm really excited about this first episode because these are people that are really dope and that I know and that we have some history. And so it makes for an awesome sort of introduction. And so today's topic is receiving and processing feedback in the publication process, dun, dun, dun. (laughs) And uh, we're gonna have some conversation about sort of how do we do that. And so uh, my guests today are Dr. Lamisha Brown and Dr. Chris Linder. And so uh, we will start by having you all just introduce yourselves, say a little bit about who you are, what you do, uh, and Perhaps, um, let's see, uh, a, a, a good writing tip. It doesn't matter what it is, but any writing tip that you might impart to get us started. And so whoever would like to go first can.
1: Dr. Brown, would you like to go first?
2: I'll go first. I was thinking about my writing tip for a second. So my name is LaMisha Brown. I'm currently the Director of Advising, Testing, and Career Services at St. Cloud Technical and Community College in central minnesota and a tip that i would give is to actually write mm. so one of the things that <laughs> i did a lot of when i was in my doctoral program was i thought a lot
0: mm-hmm. and
2: i was in my head a lot and i felt like i needed to read everything there was about my topic <laughs> and i had plenty of really great friends and professors tell me that i needed to write yeah so that's my tip write.
0: that is a good tip we were talking with some colleagues i was like it's i don't know why it's so easy to talk about writing but it's so hard to actually do the writing we could talk all day about it so uh dr brown says just do it just do it we'll steal that from nike all right what about you chris Everyone, I'm
1: Chris. I'm a faculty member at the University of Utah, which sits on the colonized land of the Bannock, Goshute, Navajo, Paiute, Shoshone, and Ute peoples, just outside of Salt Lake. Um, and my writing tip is very similar to Lamisha's writing tip. I say not only just write, but just free write. I think mm-hmm. that some of the, my best work comes when I just sit down and let my thoughts pour out of, the, out of my head and don't try and add all the citations and remember where I got it from. I can go back and add those parts later. So I think just brain dump is what I often tell students to do.
0: Yeah, that's super underrated. Like, just let it flow. Um, so for our listeners who don't know, I actually had Lemisha and I had uh, Chris as a faculty member and always loved in her instructions where she was like, just free write, don't get caught up in APA and this and that and just let it let it come out and so that is something that I definitely have, have tried to practice. So thank you all for that and thanks for being here and I'm excited to talk about this topic about feedback, um, because it is integral to the writing process and so um I wanted to have some folks on who could offer perspectives um from multiple different vantage points um and multiple different sort of points in time in our career given the multiple things that we sort of respectively um study but uh, we'll start with uh the first question in in that sort of what is your philosophy on feedback Um, or to say it more plainly what does it mean to you in relation to writing and what do you view as its purpose? When
1: I first saw and thought about this question, the first thing that came to mind is that good feedback is a gift. Um, and that's both from the perspective of sharing feedback and receiving feedback. So um, I, as Lamisha and TJ both know, I spend a lot of time giving feedback on student writing, um, but I eventually stopped doing that when I noticed the students who are not taking that feedback because it's such a time consuming process. And if the student doesn't want it, then I pull way back because it, it feels like an investment of time and energy and space for me. Um, And similarly in terms of receiving feedback um, I also really appreciate it. And I, I look forward to people who provide real and authentic feedback stuff that makes my writing stronger. I think stuff that something that makes me think, makes me pause and think I never thought of it that way. That's like a very different, helpful perspective. Um, And that's, that's when I think I get the most out of it is when it shifts my thinking about something.
0: Yeah, that's a good answer. And it makes me think, and I don't know, let me show if you had this same feeling, but once you start to receive really good, thoughtful, incisive feedback, you begin to crave it. So in other places when I didn't get it, I'm like, what is this? Like, where where are the feedback? Where where, where are the notes uh, that allowed me to sort of strengthen my work? But um, let me show, what about you? What, is, what do you, how do you view feedback? What do you view as its purpose? How have you received it?
2: Yeah, so a lot of my thoughts as I was, you know, kind of preparing for this is, it started with my doctoral process and how that kind of helped me get ready for the publication process. <laughs> and so being in my doctoral program with Chris and Daris, As two faculty members who really did put a lot of effort into the way in which they gave feedback, but both of them gave feedback that really did make you think. Um, So, as Chris knows, first semester I was a mess. Um, (laughs) You know, coming into a doctoral program where I had never done research before, that was my first time learning how to synthesize information and not regurgitate Mm. um, because that's what I had learned the whole time during my educational process it was really hard for me to accept feedback at first because I kind of internalized that as I'm not ready and I think when we're not careful we can internalize the the great feedback that instructors are giving us or that editors and reviewers are giving us as I'm not capable of doing this so be very careful about that um, but it was their feedback that helped me to see okay this is where I need to think a little bit more in depth about this particular topic or I need to be sure that I'm connecting everything that I'm doing back right um, so that was really helpful for me I see feedback as um, important to helping you grow as a as a writer, as a scholar. Um, ultimately, if you go into it with that thought process, you won't internalize it in a way of, "Well, I'm not ready for this, or I can't do this." And it's take it as a learning experience. It's something that's new. These are people who have experienced this. Um, they've gotten their doctoral degrees. If you're in a doctoral program they've published if this is your first time going through that process so everything that oh not everything sometimes you know I feel like people talk about reviewer two right reviewer two sometimes people are just coming for you and what you're saying and sometimes you do have to um kind of um respond in a way to say you know I actually Um, I'm going to keep what I said in this one place, you know, you don't always have to change what people um, want you to change if you feel passionate about something, and you know that that's why that needs to be there, but ultimately, it's going to help you
0: as a person. Absolutely, and I'm glad you raised that, because that's definitely something that uh, we're going to get into. I'm very passionate on that point, and I think, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm sort of hearing, and I'm gathering from both of you, is that it really Um, ideally should be a generative process and should be something that is sort of affirming. And I think um, to Lamisha, your point is that even if that is the case, sometimes there's a little voice in our head that's like, oh my God, someone didn't tell me this was perfect. I'm a terrible writer. I'm a terrible scholar. I'm not meant to be here. And so I, I know I've even had that experience that even when it's the most thoughtful, kind nudges and reframes and, and pushes, I'm still like, oh, they hated my work. And so I think part of that is, you know, related to sort of capitalism. I think part of that is um, related to sort of the broad neoliber- neoliberalization of higher ed and publish or perish, right? we know that adage, but um, it's fascinating. So it, it brings me to this other point that I think is important. And um, I'm going a little bit off script here, but Chris, in 2017, you wrote a blog post titled, Dear, Co- Dear Doctoral Students on Timelines and Writing and Boundaries, Oh My. Uh, I, was, I was one of Chris's doc students at this time, so y'all know I, I stood up and paid attention. And one of the things that you wrote, and it's a wonderful, wonderful blog, I have put it in a file with my own doc students now of reading as they start to think about their own processes. But one of the section you wrote, the most important part of any writing is the feedback process. Anything I write for publication usually goes through about six to eight rounds of edits. It starts with my writing group, then goes to a conference outlet, two rounds of feedback. Then I'll submit it to a journal. At the journal uh, stage, if I am lucky, I'll get a revise and resubmit on the first go round. Then there are at least two, sometimes three rounds of feedback between me and reviewers. Uh, This takes at least a year, sometimes 18 months to two years your process will likely be similar you start something in class get some feedback get it to your advisor get some feedback a few rounds of it then send it to committee get more feedback but I like this part here you end on which is this is how how ideas evolve and get stronger it's the most important pro- part of the process so plan for it and so I'm wondering well one if I can get your reaction to that do you think this still stands uh, three years later, four years later, whatever it is, uh, and LaMisha, as a follow-up after Chris enters that, I'm wondering uh, how that feedback has held in terms of your experience in going from a doc student to now being a scholar, practitioner, and uh, some of your own publishing, so Chris, what, what, so as you think back to that passage, I'm sure you don't just read your old blogs, uh, <laughs> do you think that that still holds?
1: Yes, I definitely think that <laughs> it still holds, and I I just cannot reiterate enough what Lamisha is talking about, about figuring out strategies for us to be able to take the feedback without it being personal. And that's next to impossible to do when you're writing about critical subject matter that involves people's lives. We're not math professors, right? Like I'm not writing an article about a new formula right. that one might use for a calculus problem. I'm writing about people's real and lived experiences that have significant consequences and oftentimes they're very closely tied either with my own experiences or with the experiences of people that I care about very much and so it's hard when you get that feedback and it feels like oh I'm a terrible person or and sometimes like Lamisha said it feels like somebody's coming for you like they just Mm -hmm. don't agree with your topic and when I get in that space of feeling like they just don't agree like they're being resistant to the topic I take a step back. I, I let myself be mad. Mm-hmm. And then I take a step back and I say, okay, if this person couldn't get it, that means I'm not explaining it well. So I need to explain it differently. Because I think we can also get in this place of, well, if they don't get it, that's on them. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, like I hear Dr. Jamie Washington say all the time, he says, Do you want to be right or do you want to be effective? And in my snarky little head, I say both, but <laughs> but I get his point, right? Yeah. Like yeah to reach the widest number of people we have to let go of this need for people to catch up because people aren't caught up so sometimes we do have to take three step backs and explain ourselves a little bit better yep um as frustrating as that might feel and yes there are some people out there that are resistant just to be resistant and those people are a special kind of challenge to reach yeah. and so i think yeah. um i think we should just go for it but yes that still holds it still takes a very long time and i my new blog post for my incoming doctoral students this far this fall which i haven't written yet but is in my head and has started in an email is about this pace of higher education like yes sometimes when i'm working with doctoral yes. students i feel like they're running a freaking 400 meter dash and we're trying to do a marathon here like yep. It yep. takes years and when we speed through it we do not our work is not as high of quality yep. and I it's it's a constant tension for me because I don't I don't want to minimize the reality that doctoral students are in some cases paying for their education sure. and or it has to do with their salary when they get done so they want to get through it faster and when it costs people's mental and physical health when it costs their quality of ideas to me, it's not worth it to rush through it. And so I wish that we as the culture would just slow down, think about things and and just reconsider our pace. One final thought um, a person I work with here in my current job, in her job talk, she shared a quote from um, Dominique Baker. He's a restorative justice um, practitioner. And his quote was, this work is too urgent to rush. And yeah. to me, that is really powerful. It's so important that we can't rush it and do bad work. We have to slow down and be intentional.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think that we understate broadly, I think we sort of understate the importance of thinking time. Um, yes. And so part of the reason why I liked the end of that piece is this is how the idea ideas evolve and get stronger, is that you may have a brilliant idea and it can be better. It can be deeper. It can be richer. And Um, I think I have at times struggled with, you know, resisting the urge to just be, right? And I think feedback allows us to do that, Um, allows us to kind of pause, even if it frustrates us. Uh, It's at least for me, I'll speak for me, it stops me in my tracks because I got to deal with whether it's the emotions related to the feedback, um, the intellectual sort of idea or pushback that's being presented to me. Um, And to Lamisha's point, it's not always, oh, well, let me succumb to every, piece, but it does then mean that I have to then articulate my why not. And even that is an intellectual exercise that takes time, um, as opposed to I just don't want to do it. And I think I'm right. Uh, So Lamisha, what about you? Like in terms of the, the timelines, has it helped you to sort of incorporate or think about feedback as part of sort of on the way to write what is sort of a long process and what it feels like a long process to publication? You
2: know, as I've been, more so experiencing this as a full-time professional because you know when i was in my doctoral program i was just focused on research and what i needed to do in that process and then finishing so um i haven't engaged in the publishing process until after um, being done with school but i've been amazed at how long it actually takes i know you know, and professors talked about it, classmates talked about it and I'm like, wow, that really just took almost two years (laughs) (laughs) back and forth. But then it's also, it isn't just the process of waiting for reviewers feedback. It's also that process of kind of sitting with it, figuring out when you're going to actually work on it with everything else you have going on. And so that process can get really long. Um, but I have appreciated the um, feedback that they've given. But yeah, every single time I get it, sometimes I'm like, well, dang, why didn't they say that last yeah. time? <laughs> and I'm like, wait, what happened? Why didn't we get all of this the first time? Yeah. But I also understand, you know, at, even as a reviewer, you have some time to be away from something. And when you come back to it, you're like, oh, well, I actually didn't notice this the first time, right? Or they're yeah. kind of helping you to connect back to okay well you talk about your literature review but as you talk about the discussion you don't have literature here I know they catch that the first time around but still there are some things that come up that second time that you wish that they had told you earlier but um, at the end of the day that's all a part of the process and for me I've only engaged in um, co-author co-authored manuscripts and so that's been a, a different experience for me because I'm able to talk with my co-authors around mm. the feedback and for us to figure out, okay, well, how do we wanna approach this? Um, yeah. and so I haven't done the the single author thing, don't know if I will, <laughs> mm. but for me, that's been extremely helpful is having co-authors too.
0: Yeah, and so I'm wondering too, so I, I agree with that because I think um, I tend to be very emotional around my work and i had i was just recently working on a manuscript where i had a co-author filter the feedback so what i got was what my co-author presented to me in saying here's what we need to address and sort of remove what felt like sort of the superfluous kind of you know conjecture at times but i'm wondering given that you are a full-time administrator um what helps you um or hold you accountable to getting writing over the finish line. Now we know all of our journal uh, or publication processes come with deadlines. So we know there's a date on the calendar that they want a a piece of writing. But beyond that, are there strategies that help? Is it that you rely on co-authors? What are things that you do to kind of, cause obviously it's not the main focus of your role but obviously you're a scholar. So you're still engaging in scholarship. How do you do that?
2: I still engage in writing groups. Um, So for me in the doctoral, process. I knew I, I can't do this by myself. So I was that person who was getting my classmates together like, hey, y'all, let's go right at this coffee shop. <laughs> what y'all doing? Because we need to, let's all get together. Um, and so my process was very much um, collaborative in that type of way um, and about community, even though I was doing something that's very isolating. And the way in which doctoral education is, is that you have to do it by yourself. But for me to be successful, I was in community with people all the time in the writing process. So even since I've finished school, I've maintained weekly writing groups at times, as I know I'm working on different projects. Um, So that's been extremely helpful for me. I've I've kind of always been that person like, okay, if I don't have other people, sometimes certain things don't get done. Um, And that's just kind of how that is. Um, And then if, if I'm, first author on something, then I'm taking the lead, and so I don't necessarily need my co-authors to get together with me and write, but there are also times with co-authors where we're, you know, having meetings, talking through that feedback and figuring out how do we want to work on this and kind of, you know, we're in a Google Doc you know, kind of maintain the Google Doc thing since being um, in my doctoral program. We're working together, um, figuring out, okay, who's gonna respond to this and let's kind of get that figured out. So um, it's all about the community writing spaces for me that helped me to maintain writing as a full-time professional.
0: Got it. Well, I think that's important. And I've been in groups recently here, some new groups that have formed and found that um, there are some people and, and maybe perhaps in some disciplines where they've never done writing groups. and And that blew my mind. And I don't know if that's something that's maybe just unique to my circles. Cause I know that, you know, my world doesn't constitute everyone's or maybe it's higher ed. I don't know, but folks they are like, oh, this is the first time I did a writing group and it was so helpful. And I'm looking at them like, you got through your whole program without a writing group that blows my mind. But uh, mm-hmm. so for, for all of the listeners, if you haven't tried it, uh, definitely try it. If it's not for you, that's okay too, but try it and um, and figure out some ways. Uh, Cause it sounds like the community is a, a good place to sort of be. So I want to kind of switch gears briefly and say okay so you've received an email with a response to a submission. And so what do you do next? And, and then my question is does that does that what to do next does it vary based on if it's a rejection or if it's an R&R or if it's an R and well it's a, if it's a rejection after an R&R or perhaps several how do you approach that and, and and getting it ready for whatever's next do you do you have those pieces that are used that are still sitting on your drive that you're angrily menacingly looking at because they did not find the home you wanted them in uh, Chris what about you. <laughs>
1: The first thing I do when I get feedback is skim it and immediately start texting my co-authors about (laughs) about it. Um, And there's often snarky comments, but to me, that's just part of the process. And I know as a reviewer, people do the same thing when I send them feedback, right? Like it's not, again, it's not personal. This is this is what we do and community like Lamisha said is a really important part of the process so that's a big part (laughs) and it also does help me to make sense of it like when I talk through with somebody like what did this feedback mean or they didn't get it or whatever then we can be way more clear about what to add or um, reorganize to make it more clear what we were trying to do because so I think that that's one important strategy, because I often will get feedback and be like, that's what I was trying to do.
0: Right, right.
1: (laughs) But clearly I did not, (laughs) because that person told me I didn't do that. So. Um, I think, yeah, that's what I usually do. Um, Sometimes I will, like, I I do have a piece. I'm not menacingly looking at it. I'm trying to figure (laughs) out what the heck to do next with it, because it's one of those pieces that was a new theoretical framework for me, and I think also the journal I submitted it to, and I don't think that I and my co-author did a very good job of being clear about what we were trying to do. Mm. And sh- she's finishing her dissertation and I'm starting a new center. So we haven't even thought about it yeah. since then, but yeah. it's still sitting in my inbox.
0: Yeah. Well, I like, what, I like that point you raised, especially around, uh, well, I thought that that's what I was trying to do. Yeah. I recently <laughs> had an experience where we're like so much in the weeds of our work that sometimes you don't even realize that there are parts of it that maybe aren't legible or don't make sense or, and so I'll, I'll give an example. I got feedback from a reviewer that was like, you keep saying this thing, but you haven't provided any evidence for that thing. And I'm like, yeah, I did. And then I realized <laughs> that all of the things that pointed to that particular comment or assertion I was making, I had removed from previous drafts. So then that didn't make sense anymore. Well, in my head, it was still in the manuscript, but it took someone saying, uh, well, you keep saying this thing and you have not shown us that. So the, the, the answer was, you're right. And I took all that out. So I need to take out this assertion. And it was very simple, but it would have been very easy for me to just get upset, particularly when we're dealing with bigger projects, right? Where we know it exists somewhere in our data, we know that assertion makes sense, but for this piece of scholarship in this sort of bounded way that only the reviewer's reading, they're coming at it with a fresh perspective that frankly, we don't have. We don't have yes. fresh perspective on our own work because we're in it. So yes. I appreciated that piece. What about you, You uh, Get that email. <laughs> what do you do next?
2: Yeah, I think very similar to Chris in that um, if I'm first and it came to me, then I immediately send it to my co-authors and then um, kind of review it to figure out what are the things that can be done quickly? What mm-hmm. are those um, things that might take longer? And what are the parts that we might need to just take out kind of for what you're saying it might not be clear or maybe we deleted something before and now this doesn't make sense um and then figuring out okay when can we meet to talk about this what's the deadline can we actually get it done in this timeline there have been multiple um, manuscripts uh, especially with COVID right where it's like None of us can work on this right now like we just need to um, ask for extensions and there was one where we asked probably for like three different extensions and i'm like okay at some point they might be like we we <laughs> we're done with y'all <laughs> we're not interested in this piece anymore because y'all took too long um and so sometimes it's really figuring out well what's your capacity at this time and can you get this in in the timeline that they're asking for yeah um and so that's been my process with that
0: yeah yeah, that's real. I mean, I think I, I, I'm grateful that it feels like that a lot of the academic publishing spaces, at least for our field and world, um, were giving us lots of grace, uh, especially because um, of COVID. And, and I know, I, I, don't, I don't know why I was always mortified to ask for them. Um, and I don't know if the, if identity is wrapped up in that or what, but and then finally someone, a colleague was just like, just ask for an extension. I asked for one and then I literally got it in like the very next day. So um, I definitely can appreciate that. So we are nearing the end of our time. But I do have one more question. And then we have a lightning round. So start warming up your brains for that. Um, but I, I do think it's important. I want to go back to this piece because it's come up a few times about sort of what might be our reactions to it. Chris, you talked about not taking it personal. And what I, what I feel, I think, I think it's fair to say that for many scholars, maybe not most, but many scholars we really like or perhaps even love the work that we do. It's deeply personal. Um, I think about ACPA, I think about our strategic imperative and folks that are writing to that end. Um, it's important to the scholar. And so maybe that makes us uniquely situated to react emotionally or sensitively to feedback, or maybe not, this could be me like exposing my hand. Um, In general, I'm wondering, how do you disarm your defenses to be able to receive feedback? Do you do that or should we do that? Um, Either of you, whoever would like to go first. Yeah,
2: as I think about the manuscript that I did with um, some friends where we co-authored and it was actually based off of my publishable paper that I did in my program, which was my first um, independent research study where um, I was focused on colorism and talking about colorism and black women's experiences with it um, and how it impacts their college experience. And so I feel like, um, and I don't remember like exactly what reviewers said, but I know around questions of needing to prove kind of that colorism mm. is a thing <laughs> um, that black women experience uh, differently from um, as we're talking about black um, folks, black women experience it differently. And so, um, For me, having spent a good amount of time doing that research study while I was in my doctoral program and then engaging with it, even after the fact of trying to get it ready for the publication process, I'm like, okay, who's reviewing this? (laughs) Like, Okay, this this is actually a thing um, and it's real. And it's something that impacts communities of color and though there's more conversation around colorism, I'm like, I hadn't seen a whole lot of publications in a higher ed context about it. And so, um, for me, in that case, having co authors and being able to really just kind of talk through the feedback and, like, okay, how do we maybe explain this a little bit differently, or maybe some of the words that we chose to use because of the historical context, you know, this is why we're using this particular term. And that was one of the things that we had to kind of combat with one of the reviewers because they didn't want us to use a a particular term and we're like, well, there's a historical context for this. You know, so I was, um, we made a note about our use of it in there, like a little footnote. So they understood um, why we used it, but um, sometimes it's just kind of sitting. Yeah. sitting with it and realizing kind of like as Chris said sometimes maybe we need to um, explain something a little bit differently um, in in that particular case as saying well we're actually going to keep this for this reason and um, hoping that they would accept it because it was kind of a back and forth a couple of times <laughs> with the reviews and we're like no we're not changing it yeah. we're going to keep this here and you know, so in the end, it worked out for them to, um, you know, accept it in the end.
0: Well, I I really like this point, and I want to just highlight it uh, before we hear from Chris, but sometimes I think, so if we're lucky, we get someone who is an intimate awareness of our topics, uh, and in some ways that can maybe be even more challenging, but um, then there's some working knowledge, right, so that we don't have to do some of that but occasionally we don't get that review or we get a reviewer who has maybe some broader knowledge I mean I think about in my own work and my own profile I often have to explain why I use the term fat as opposed to some other term that's not fat because people have stigmatized that term but in you know fat studies work we embrace that we've embraced that language as a descriptor uh, it has meaning it has no other meaning other than describing a type of of body, but that, that, that there's not value right in that term. And so uh, that has been a challenge because I think even in our responding to sort of reviewers, editors, uh, we have to push back. I was writing a piece where I kept using disabled people because I, descri- I ascribe to the social model of disability. So I don't use person first language and what the social model believes is that people are more disabled by society than they are by their bodies and diagnoses. And so therefore they are being disabled. And so uh, having to educate and to say, here's why and to explain. And so I think to your point and to Chris's point that I often take it as an invitation of how can I be more clear? Maybe this is an opportunity to teach. And so then maybe the next person that does this work or the next time they see that term, they won't Mm -hmm. have to, to do that. Chris, what about you? I mean, I don't, I don't, I, you and I have a a good relationship and I don't know that maybe you have emotional reactions to feedback other than um, maybe perhaps an eye roll if it feels unfair, but how do you disarm it if you do feel like you're feeling a certain way?
1: You do know that I have reactions because you're one of the first part- people that I text for <laughs> <laughs> my
0: reactions.
1: Um, I think for me, maybe this is um, an example of way too much therapy in my life, though I don't mm. think there's ever such a thing. But I don't try and resist the reaction or the emotion. I just let it happen and then keep it moving. So I Got think it. honoring the emotion um, is really important because like you said, this work is important to us. And if we didn't get if we weren't emotionally attached to it, I'd actually be worried. Like, yeah. I think it's important that we care about it and that we care deeply about it. And so I let that feeling happen. I process it with trusted people. Yeah. I sometimes review my... Um, response to the reviewers memo to take snarky comments like sometimes i just put the snarky comments in there to start because it's my way of processing it but then they come out when i go back through and process it and to lamisha's point about leaving things i will do that and sometimes i pull citations to make the point like I really struggle with the notions of having a limitation sections in qualitative research. I just don't think that's a thing Um, because inevitably the limitations are it's not generalizable. Well, guess what? Qualitative research isn't intended to be generalizable. Therefore it's not a limitation, it's qualitative (laughs) research. And so I will pull citations to illustrate qualitative research we have boundaries we write thick rich descriptions so that it can be transferable we're not intending to be generalizable and put those citations in there to do some education because like you said it it's both educating and i don't want to say educating that sounds condescending it's introducing a new idea to a reviewer right Right. like maybe they've never thought of it that way before and if you say that maybe they'd be like, oh yeah, I never thought about that. Thanks for pointing that out. Yeah. Um, so I think that's how I try and work through it. Sometimes I'm more successful than others.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely resonate with the uh, the rage typing immediately after receiving it, but then going to to revise it uh, with a more level head uh, before it goes out. And so, I mean, I think that's good. I think it's important for our work and uh, I, I think I have a bittersweet relationship um, to feedback, and I certainly don't think that the process is perfect or has to be, but I also know that I really want my work out there because I think it matters, and so the reality is, is that if we're going to be in it, um, this is the process that we have, and um, the best we can do is to, you know, to stand in our truth and to, and to push the field and to push um, you know, the journals and the publication spaces and and to then receive when we could be doing better work, right? So uh, it's both of those things. Um, I think uh, feedback is um, is a gift like you do, Chris. and I also think that, you take what's helpful and you discard what's not yeah. helpful and you make some choices and, and, and then we live with those choices, right? And so uh, the other thing that you said that's interesting, that's something, I don't know if you know this, Chris, but you and Beyonce have something in common and that is she gives herself, I believe it's 24 hours to feel bad about any given thing. And then after that, that is it. She makes she makes herself move forward. And so we were describing that, I was thinking about Beyonce. So if anyone ever asks what you have in common with Beyonce, you can say that.
1: <laughs> Thank you. You get 24
0: hours to feel bad about your yourself are upset and then you're going to move on <laughs> so it's a really good ethic to have well that brings us to the end of our time we have a lightning round a right a writing lightning round and this is seven questions in under 90 seconds but you'll get a little more time because there are two of you so uh if you all if you both could answer the questions uh and we will just go back and forth until we get through them and see how it is this is the uh writing edition so all of these are related to to writing so are you ready do you feel prepared okay
2: sure
0: so the first one is you are invited to a conference uh to keynote after something amazing you've written what is your entrance music as you walk to the stage
2: so i'm gonna go with sierra level up oh that's a good one
0: high energy. energy
2: Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna,
1: I don't know the title of it. It's Pink's song about taking up space.
0: Pink, Pink, taking up
1: space. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to look it up. You can go to the next question. Okay. We'll put it, we'll
0: put it in the show notes because I love Pink. <laughs> okay. So second question, favorite place to read and or write?
1: Definitely a coffee shop. I love coffee shops. All of them. Starbucks all the way down to the local one that seats three people all of them. Love it.
0: LaMisha favorite place. I would
2: say pre-COVID it was like you know Panera Bread was a spot I was in a lot as a doc student coffee shops um, of course now. I do reading and writing in my office at home.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to Panera in Athens, Georgia. I wrote 70% of my dissertation there. Okay, finish the sentence. When I'm not writing, I love to what?
2: Watch TV with my partner.
1: Play in the mountains.
0: Love it. Okay, they can be academic or non-academic, but who is your favorite or one of your favorite authors right now?
2: Brittany Cooper. So this might sound bad. I have not read, uh, read. <laughs> I haven't read anything in a minute besides work emails.
0: Question five, if you could assign required reading to all of higher ed and they'd be required to read it, what would it be?
1: Uh, so many things. The first one that comes to mind is I, and I, whenever I'm probably giving myself away because as a reviewer, I'm constantly telling authors to read this, but the Sean Harper piece called Racism Without Racists, Mm. um, I think it's called that. He's borrowing from, Bonilla Silva's book, but he's making the argument that in higher education, we can say all the words about racism, but we rarely say racism. Um, And I think we do that with a lot of issues around oppression. And so I'm constantly telling people to read that article.
2: Awesome.
0: Yeah, Yeah, one
2: of my go to's that kind of as I start kind of the school year off and talking with my team about working with our students. I've had them read um, Tarioso's Community Cultural Wealth because I think mm. it's important for us yeah. to kind of go into a new school year thinking about capital that our students, um, mm. our marginalized students have. So yeah. um, familial capital, social capital, all of that. Um, I think it's really important for them to to have um, an asset frame of mind when we're thinking about our students, so.
0: Okay, number six, something you have written that you are proudest of.
2: I would say most recently, um, a co-authored piece with um, my First Gen Docs co-founders in the Journal of First Gen Student Success, A Labor of Love, we talk about um, the makings of First Gen Docs and how it all came to be. So that's something, um, you know, four years now we've, had, you know, we've been doing work with First Gen Docs, so that's something that's really important to me. That's awesome
0: chris something you've written that you're most proud of
1: i'm gonna go way back here and talk about chapter one of my dissertation i've actually Mm. been using it a lot lately because it's my own personal socialization story as a white woman Mm. um and i remember when my i was writing it and my advisor was like you gotta write more you gotta write more you gotta write more i was like what do you want (laughs) and now that i just use i'm doing a workshop series with a group of faculty right now and i just sent it to them and asked them to read it and It just, it resonates with people because it gives specific examples of socialization. And so I feel proud of the way I was able to do the both and of naming like the crappy socialization I got as a white person growing up. Mm. but not faulting my parents or my community for that, but rather talking about how it's the air that we breathe in the system that we all, they were doing the best they could with the information that they had,
0: so. That is awesome. Dissertation standing the test of time here. (laughs) All right, last question. Either words of wisdom um, or a quote to live by that you want to leave listeners with, and it doesn't have to be related to writing.
1: I have something to say that is related to writing that I didn't say earlier okay freaking read people (laughs) i am so frustrated right now with the number of articles i've been reviewing where people are doing a disservice to all Mm. of the scholarship that has come before them we Mm. have people are doing this scholarship for a reason you don't just get to pick your five favorite pieces you have to invest the time and yeah. figure out what it is that other people are saying so that you can advance that work and build on that work you're not the first person to say it you're not going to be the last person to say it so yeah. join in the conversation about your topic as yes. opposed to trying to be the voice on your topic
0: absolutely so reading is writing that is oh that gosh. is the quote <laughs> and lamisha either a words of wisdom or quotes of the vibe that you want to leave listeners with
2: I would say to believe in yourself and your abilities. Um, Never question whether you can do something. It really is about um, sometimes taking some time to sit with, whether it's feedback or your own thoughts, and to move forward knowing that you are able to do whatever it is that you are working on
0: awesome believe in yourself i don't know if folks have seen the whiz but i'm seeing like glinda the good witch of the north lena horn singing believe in yourself um well awesome thank you both so much for taking this time out in your summer to chat with me uh and the that's all right podcast uh, and our listeners and so i really appreciate the time i appreciate the words of wisdom and uh until next time get right or get left bye